Hey everyone, this is AJ. We're going to start the podcast in a minute, but before we do that, I want to really encourage everyone to check out our guest's Kickstarter campaign, Uncle Art, A Temporal Shift, right now by searching on Kickstarter or by checking out their website at uncleartmusic.com. The deadline for this is July 12th, so that's right around the corner. Jurgen and I really like this project, and that's not just us talking because we're supposed to. We've actually backed it. So check it out, become a backer, and help something really cool and unique get made. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. Scene World Podcast again. It is July. It is 2015. I'm AJ. That's your And uh, yeah, I'm just rubbing a microphone into my face. Yes, just yes. like AJ told me. A brand new microphone that, that he's got for things. Um, Gamescom actually. Yes, Gamescom. Um, okay, so first, in a minute, we're going to be talking with with uh, Dave Lowe and Holly Jaslow. Uh, they are Uncle Art, and are responsible for for music that you've probably heard in games. I mean, we're talking stuff from Star Glider 1 and 2, Power Drift, Beneath the Still Sky, Frontier Elite 2, Hard Driving, Railroad Tycoon. Street Fighter 2, mm-hmm. um, International Party Plus. Pinball Dreams. Hard Driving. Mm-hmm. So... These, this guy is is one of the really prolific composers in the, um, and, and not not just on the C sixty four, but also on the Amiga, uh, the Atari ST, um, DOS, NES. yeah, and of course yep. the 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 as the as the English say the ZX Spectrum. Yep. I want to say the ZX Spectrum because I'm a stupid American, but <laughs> it's, it's not it's, stupid, but American indeed. Yes, it's the it, the the proper pronunciation is ZX. Um, yeah. So we'll be talking to them in a minute. Uh, before we do that, uh, let's go over some stuff. Uh, last month we talked to John Draper Captain until such Crunch. time. Yes, until such time as he had to stand up. Um, and since then, he uh, shortly after our podcast went live, he popped up he on. He sits uh, down again. Yes. Yes. He popped up on uh, on Russia Today, yes? Indeed. Um, half an hour interview. Hmm. We will put the link on this description. We had a longer interview with him because we're cooler, but actually it yeah. was because York held him down and we made him Ice talk. Ice cream was better. Yes, yes. <laughs> Aside from that, uh, as far as, as – we, 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 we made some comments last month in our intro when we were talking about uh, our Twitch channel, which is – twitch.tv slash scene world and we were um, contemplating what we were going to do with it and, and, and how we were going to use it and one of those things was the uh, was the um, wh- what was that? <laughs> who, who, who can guess it? In surprise. No, um, it was a film museum in Frankfurt, Germany 
and it was ex exhibition called um, Film and Games and Interplay. Right. Yes. And where we have um, a Twitch live show every last Wednesday of each month. And uh, last Wednesday was our first, and the guest was Chris Hulsbeck. Which is a pretty big guest for uh, our first Twitch show. And, and it was a pretty uh, pretty in-depth interview. Jorg uh, ran the interview with, uh, with uh, Sven Fessing, who we've spoken to in the past. Yes, um, he was the Chateau's. Uh-huh. There were there were some people there. There were some people in the in the chat rooms, um, throwing questions and stuff. It was pretty cool. I watched it from home. And if you want to check that out, it, it, obviously the the live stream isn't live anymore. That's over. But you can check out the archived footage from that at our YouTube channel at youtube.sceneworld.org, where we will be putting more stuff in the future. And Jorg will be continuing to do this stuff uh, every last week of or every last Wednesday. Yes. Of each month, he'll be doing more stuff live from from the museum. Exactly. So that is pretty Starting cool. Starting 6 p.m. Um, Central European Summertime. That's like noon on the east coast of the U.S. For those exactly. of you who are on the east coast of the U.S. with me. Exactly. Meanwhile, um, what else are we doing? We've got a new it's issue coming out. There's a new issue, Scene World, the next issue. I don't know what number that is. Because 25. twenty-five, number twenty-five, are our quarter of a hundred. If exactly, yes, <laughs> and we are planning to put it out for Gamescom. Mm-hmm. Gamescom, yes, which York will be at Gamescom. Wandering, not about. only York, also Gary, mm-hmm. Scorp, and Arthur Van Damme, PMC. Right, and you guys will be wandering about and. Being scene world representatives and doing yep. cool things, wearing some t-shirts, and will you be stamping people's hands? No, I didn't get a free stamp. Oh, free stamp. oh man, yeah. So it will be, it'll be open to the public from the sixth through the ninth of August. So go there and take silly pictures with Jorg and draw things on him and scan his shirt. Yep, scan me. <laughs> um. Okay, I will be doing something similar to that in September. Uh, September 19th, it's a video game con. It's in Parsippany, New Jersey. I don't have a booth, unlike Jörg, and I will be much less organized and more just kind of being confused and, I guess, taking pictures. So, but you will be meeting Billy Mitchell in person. Pa- yes, yes, uh, Billy Mitchell will be there. And you can <laughs> you can play a battle of Donkey Kong against him. Oh, yeah, that'll last all of... Eight seconds until I die because I suck at that game. Well, he, he is very good at that game. Yeah, that would be that would be the the world's best Donkey Kong player against the world's worst Donkey Kong player. So that would be that would be amusing for again the the, the eight seconds that it lasts. But well, you will find it on YouTube like the worst against the best player, like ten hours. <laughs> you know. Those YouTube videos, yeah, where, where it's the same seconds repeat like for ten hours. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. So that that is happening. Um, we will be doing more things with Twitch as the days come, uh, as we we figure things out. Send us comments of what you want to see. Yeah, we're we're looking into this this Twitch thing um, and and exploring ways that we can use it and and ways that we can make use of it and and. 
and trying to figure out um, the best way to provide content that people would want to see and special content. Right, right. And it would be, you know, this is sort of something that's a little bit new to us and we don't want to do this like everybody else does it where it's just like, hey, we're going to play some games that nobody cares about or, or you know, whatever it is. But yeah, if you if, if people want to send us ideas, uh, podcast at sceneworld.org, um, give us an idea of the kinds of things that, that you guys want to see and we will we will look into that and, and see what we can what we can come up with because it won't a, include AJ in underwear and and thank your lucky stars for that because that's pretty much the worst thing ever <laughs> but yeah but there's there's lots of things that we can do and we would like to do something with it and it's a kind of a new platform that we don't know too much about so or not that we don't know too much about it's just a new platform that we're not not used to really using and and so it, it it's interesting to think of different things that we can we can do with it different ways to leverage this new media of course we are expanding everywhere one of the things that we will definitely be doing with that is um our uh, extra life charity campaigning thing in november there is Which a day, day for that. oh god you're gonna ask me what day it is uh extra well, life is november november 7th november 7th we'll be doing something with extra life uh that's the Game day is November seventh. We we are part of the the Frag Dolls team still, even though the Frag Dolls are no longer. But that's whatever. Are fragged. Yes. So we we are part of the Frag Dolls team. Um, you can check us out. Go onto the website extra-life.org and and search for for us, or you can go directly to our our page. It's uh, I'm at uh, extra-life.org/slash/participant/slash/ajh. And Jurg is is uh, extra-life.org/slash/participant/slash/nafcom. There will be links to this and all other things that we're talking about in the podcast description. I'm still thrilled and fascinated by how easy those URLs are. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's really. It just it just it's the kind of URL that you just can't you can't forget. So, so we have a new issue coming out, which we mentioned before, our our twenty fiftieth extravaganza. Um, <laughs> what what kinds of things do we have going on in this issue? A special intro. Mm-hmm. Yes, again, we have some surprise interviews of VIP people, as video, always. Video interviews that will be on our YouTube channel. Yep, as as and as transcriptions in the magazine. Mm-hmm. And well, the new thing here is. One thing we start actually doing is uh, adding transcripted interviews that we use for the magazine as subtitles for the videos so that in the Turing impaired people can actually watch video interviews now. Hmm. It's pretty cool. Of course, I figured in YouTube you can simply add a TXT file and it will auto-align text written by the audio. Really? Does it do that? Yep. Wow, that's actually kind of cool. I didn't realize that it would yes, auto-align thanks it. to the speak recognition. Well, man, I, I thought you were spending hours and hours syncing this stuff up. Well, it took it took five hours because of the um, amount of videos we have already. Right, right, but and that wasn't you. it takes like half an hour for YouTube to realign the the text. <laughs> but that was... But that was YouTube stuff. That wasn't you, like, like going through and, like, flagging everything. And... Yes. Ah, okay. Because the speech, speech recognition works pretty badly. 
Hmm. For the automatic transcript thing, it, that's awful. That is the most. If you if you yes. want to if you want to read something funny, put in the the automatic or the uh, the the speech recognition. But the speech recognition is good enough for detecting when you have the transcript ready in text and aligning the audio to it. Right. Then it's good enough. Yeah. So. That is what we've been up to, and that's where we're going shortly. So we have right over here, uh, we have uh, Dave Lowe, who is in England, I believe, and his daughter, Holly Jaslow, who is in the Mediterranean on an island. In Spain, yeah. Yes, and they are waiting, so let's welcome them to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. So you guys are, well... Dave Lowe is is one of the most prolific game musicians in the history of the world. <laughs> I mean the world. <laughs> he's done music for uh, for Elite Two. He's done it for Star Glider, uh, Afterburner. That's one of my favorites. Cool. He's done a ton of things, and and currently you're working on um, making a an album of this, uh, remastered with actual musicians and, and stuff like that. That's right, yeah. A live album, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has got to be pretty cool because when you compose for these, these, these machines, I imagine it's kind of, uh, it can be kind of frustrating trying to translate what you, the way that you hear music and the way that you want to do it into kind of what a computer can do. It can be a, it's quite limiting, yeah. When you've written a classical piece or something, it's quite hard to put it over on a three or four channel chip even if it is samples it's still you're still limited by memory and I, I can imagine i remember reading about uh musicians with the original uh the, the the pc speaker that could only i think make like one beeper bloop at a time and having to switch between yeah. having to switch between different instruments and stuff just to make it sound like something yeah. you know something something decent that's madness wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but now you actually did this stuff before there were before there were tracking software, there was stuff to do that. You actually had to figure this stuff out, sort of invent yeah, right. ways to do it. Yeah, right. Had to write the machine code drivers to run it, you know, to access the chip, and run it at a frame rate that didn't interfere with the game, so it would run at 50 hertz on the back of the game. And some of these, um, there was an, uh, an Atari game. I'm, I don't remember which one it is, but it, you actually put samples in, and they weren't supposed to be able to do samples, that machine. Yeah, but what, it was a bit of a trick, really, because um, on the Atari ST, if you uh, you send it, if you send, you, you miss the chip and go straight to the speaker, mm-hmm. and you can um, send volume, you know, send it volume levels between 0 and 15, it moves the cone, obviously, by the right amount, and if you send it fast enough at a sample rate, it obviously moves the cone backwards and forwards and reproduces the sample, that's how that was done. That's similar to the, the way the C64 does it, doesn't it? Isn't it? When you, you mess around with the volume, it makes like a small click, and you can... It's the same. That's right. It's the same technique. There. Hmm. It's actually interesting because um, you are originally a musician, and your daughter is too. And um, you said in one interview I had with you that actually going into video game music was kind of... Uh, well, coincidence, because originally you, you did this um, computer hobby for for relaxation, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that shows how stressed I was. 
you consider assembly programming relaxing. (laughs) 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 And um, I wonder, how was it for you, Holly, um, to see your your dad composing all the game music for all those arcade machine hits? Yeah, well, it was really cool. I mean, obviously, I was born in 83, so I was quite young when some of the stuff was going on. But you just sort of grow up and think whatever you grow up with is quite normal, don't you? So I I just thought it was cool because it meant we had to have, like, every type of computer from, like, Atari STs and Amigas. And then, like, later we had, like, every console and, like, Game Boys and Sega Master Systems and, like, the NES and everything because, like, for, for my dad's work. And, yeah, we had loads of computers in the house and it was really unusual then to have, like, computers in your house. And my friends thought my dad was a burglar because... He only seemed to go out at night because he was gigging still on night times, but yet we had all these computers and how could this possibly be? And yeah, so it was cool, but it was great because I used to games test as well for there was a company called the Conversion Company and they were like based over the moors to us, like sort of 15 miles away. And they were doing some games like Count Duckula on the Spectrum or something like that, and I had to like games test it. And so I was like nine years old, games tester, like. I was quite cool at school for that. Yeah, it was really good. (laughs) That's like a dream job for a nine-year-old. Yeah, definitely. And I used to think that I was really good at it. I'd like make a list of every bug that I found. And like, I used to like to think that I played the games in a very unusual way. (laughs) And so I was just like, oh, they wouldn't have thought of this. And yeah. (laughs) Well, so I'm paid, of course. Yeah, I think I got some sweets or something, yeah. <laughs> so so you had the childhood um I I wished I had, you know. Yeah. In a way, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was cool. And like so I used to hear the music in the studio coming out or you started it in like your in the bedroom, didn't you? you had all the computers set up there and Yeah. Yeah, well we we moved just as I was doing um Star Glider One and uh, just after we'd done Star Glider 1, we moved from London into a country place. And um, it had a quite a big garage, which got converted to a studio. But at the time, well, I was getting work in. So at the time, I had to do it, set stuff up in the bedroom. So it was like, well, it was, it was crazy, really. <laughs> so how did you, um, what was the process for writing this stuff? Because you're... Um... You were already a musician. You you know you did this professionally and whatnot. And now you're you're switching over into the computer. So do do you kind of obviously you score this for more than just the computer initially, and then you kind of work it down to what the thing can do. Yeah. Was there a... basically? I mean, you've got obviously the melody, mm-hmm. the chords, the bass line, and a, and a kind of rhythm pattern, and you kind of fit those onto three or four channels as best you could. You'd usually write stuff on the piano, though, eh? Yeah, yeah, I'd normally write on the piano or guitar, mainly piano. But, um, yeah, and then you'd, then you'd be, you'd figure out a way to, I suppose most people did that, you know. I don't think anybody ever wrote anything on the chip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those those piano versions are basically what will be released on the CD or more expanded versions of what you had in your head or yeah they'll be expanded yeah quite a lot expanded expanded like because lots of the stuff was like 
kind of designed for sort of like dirty metal bands almost and then some of it was you know like more sort of like because what's crazy when you listen but especially the amiga stuff that he did it's really fast <laughs> like the tempos are really really fast it's like real like blood pumping heart beating sort of stuff and so it's going to be quite exciting to do that with like a live drummer and do you know what i mean like sort of like some get some fuzz out and sort of like yeah get some like real instruments on there and so yeah it's going to be and then obviously some of the classical ones um obviously we're doing one with an we're doing one with the full orchestra. We're doing the Frontier Elite two pieces with, with the real orchestra and stuff. And so there's going to be like a very classical element and then a very sort of whatever the sort of piece was really meant to be, we're going to try and sort of really bring that out because now we're not really limited by anything. Right. <laughs> and that horn was from Power Drift, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's actually um, great that you mentioned the speed because that's what I figured when I was listening to, um, I think, yeah, it was Power Drift that uh, Dave's version on the C64 was a bit faster than the arcade machine. So that speed I used to take. Yeah. You know, a musician. <laughs> <laughs> and wall off. I get the feeling you were just trying to sort of, you were doing so many game titles, you just like, get this out of the way as quick as possible, play it really yeah, fast, that, and then that, it's that, over with, and go on to the next one. That makes me wonder, was it a relaxation anymore? <laughs> no, yeah, no. I don't know what the relaxation is now. <laughs> no. Valium, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And then you play the music back on the NTSC machines, and it gets even faster. Yeah, that's right. We had a yeah. we had discussed in another another podcast that uh, all the music that I you know because I'm, I'm I'm American and all the music that I've listened to is all wrong because it's too fast. Exactly. Yeah, I grew up with this stuff being super fast, and now that that I hear it the way it's supposed to sound, it's like that's not right. That's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's at sixty hertz there, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's yeah, and they would just put out the games. They didn't. If if it worked, then they didn't bother with the fixing the timing or anything. So all these all these songs that you know I knew from games in my youth are all all the wrong speed. <laughs> I didn't realize that in America they were playing them at different. What yeah. was that do with the? Um, well, because the uh, the speed of the computer it's a sixty hertz machine, or you know. So in in the uh, in Europe, it, or maybe it's a little bit less than that. And in, in America, it's a little bit faster here. So, yeah, and in Europe it's fifty, in America yeah, it's sixty. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's just the the machine itself is a little bit faster, and so the music plays just the the minutest bit, just enough to to just enough to make a difference in how it sounds. Yeah, and that is because it it is it was made that way that you can hook it up on a TV. Mm -hmm. So that's why it has to sync with the TV yeah. signals. That's yeah. why yeah, why the speed... right on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Machines these days, I don't think, have that problem anymore. No, yeah. they don't, because nowadays you have dedicated monitors. But back then, for uh, for Commodore, Amiga, and Atari, it was important that you could hook up an, a normal TV. Yeah. I know that because I was actually doing an interview with Yesh Charakura, who designed that stuff. Back in oh. the 80s, you know, he was the lead designer of the of the C64 and the Vic 20 and the PET machines, mm -hmm. oh, and, so, and and he explained it to me, you know. 
that's interesting because I know that they're still you in America. The tune-in is like done to a different hertz as well than it is. Isn't it? Yeah, because we were doing the piano um, when I was I was signed with Mercury Records when I was a bit younger, and um, we went into Olympia Studios, Olympic Studios in London, really big. Madonna had been in there the day before, and they'd had the piano tuned for her. And so when I came to do my piano, we'd booked the studio for the piano that day, and we already had like half the track, and so we loaded the track in, and then we went in and started. You know, I had the cans on and I was playing the piano to the piece. And we're like, this piano's out of tune. Like, what's going on here? And it's because they tuned it to 442 yeah. instead of 440 hertz because in America they use different tuning. And yeah, that's actually true. Crazy. That's actually I hadn't true. realized that at all. Yeah. 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 We do everything it's... wrong here. Why yeah. do we do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. This is what everyone else is doing. Yeah, so we still use just, feet and inches and miles and thing, you know, we were just, we're all backwards. That's interesting <laughs> because actually, actually, I, I noticed that even on the C64, it sounds a bit different, even if you fix the speed, because the disc mac that we are doing, that SteamWorld disc mac, is actually fixing the speed automatically. Uh -huh. but, the, mm -hmm. but the tone kilohertz is still a bit different. The, the, Tune sounds still a bit. Yeah, it kind of cranks up the um, the tuning of it a, a little bit. Yeah. To, you know, even though even though the speed is correct. Yeah. Um, there's one one example on the C64 where you can recognize that is actually on the American version of Turbo Outrun. They yeah. really did a dedicated fixed version, and it sounds so awful. <laughs> Not because of the speed, but because of the I don't know hertz just, problems. Yeah, just a... Yep. So the sound chip itself sounds a bit different, yeah. I wonder if the other if the other computers like the the Spectrum. Oh, I don't think we didn't really have the Spectrum. We didn't. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard of the color. thing. I've heard of it. We never that never really caught on. I don't know if it was sold here or if it caught on. Everything here was Atari or, or C64 or Amiga. Yeah. What was the most popular, the Amiga or the ST? Um, I'd say the Amiga was more popular than the ST. Was it? Atari was popular in the very beginning, and then it just kind of dropped off. And after, after a while, like you didn't really hear too much about Atari here. You didn't have those BBC machines that no, we had. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> they were awful. <laughs> <laughs> we had them at school. Yeah, they were horrendous. Mm. Yeah, I guess the other problem would have been America wasn't so fond of um, audio tapes for data. Well. We we did the audio tape thing, but we didn't. Uh, it wasn't fun. Well, well, I heard in UK they laughed it because also it was a lot cheaper than the mm. diskette versions. I but, don't know. But then I don't you have know, to load a game. You have is... to start the game, and then as it's loading, yeah. you you go out and do some shopping. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Is is that a true rumor? I don't know. Again, I mean, I mean, is it a true rumor <laughs> that cassette games were preferred in UK over disc versions? I don't, I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. I mean, as you say, you you know, with the cassette version, you start it loading, go out, get some shopping, have your dinner, come back, and, and it had crashed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, my big game testing era, that was all on cassette. That was, I can't think what it was on, but it was all cassette. Yeah, and it was like you could go and climb a tree or two before you had to come back. And, yeah, yeah. Right. Load error. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. yeah. 
Here's me getting frustrated with Windows 8, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when I first... I, I My first computer had the disk drive. It was a Commodore system, and... Uh, I had gotten used to that, and then my brother went and found uh, someone had sold like their whole thing, and it had a bunch of the, the data sets. And I remember trying that and just being mortified that I'm like, okay, load, load. I'm like, oh, crap, it's like a 90-minute cassette. I have to get through the whole thing before it even finds the file I want. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, the, it was, I mean, those early, early machines. I mean, we, I've had to dig all mine out now to try and, you know, get the stuff working for the kickstarts <laughs> I, it's so difficult you sit there and you're trying to load things up you know you're just so used to a, a modern machine aren't you where you just do this do that do this. and you wouldn't you wouldn't use an emulator for that no i prefer if i'm going to do it i prefer to do it on the on the machine yeah plus we've, we've established Jörg, that it doesn't sound right if it's not on the original machines yeah yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah, but some people would say it's nitpicking, you know. Well, right is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so the original songs that you have there, are you going to? Are they going to be incorporated into what you're doing now? Are you like? Are you going to be using any of the samples from those songs, or are you just completely redoing them from scratch? No, no, we'll be using a bit of both. Yeah. Because there's some things you can't actually reproduce now. Some of the stuff that you, some of the sounds that come out of an Amiga or an ST or, or a C64, you know, is quite unique. Hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah, they have it. their own place. Even in, even if we were making an album that was nothing to do with retro gaming, like I think there's still a place in this day for like those sounds and stuff. So mm -hmm. it makes sense to use them, especially given what the project is. But um, yeah, no. I mean, I would definitely like to use some samples generally, and like my own songs and stuff like that. So yeah, they sound they sound some of the sounds are really cool. It's I learned a few podcasts ago. This is called Pixel Pop. Yes, oh, yes. Pop. Pixel Pop. I've not heard that phrase, but that's quite good, isn't it? I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's that was that was invented by Jeroen Tell. Pixel pop, oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's quite good. laughs> isn't it? Damn, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually interesting um, because um, the the damage of the original machine is actually the reason why you had to restart the um, the Kickstarter thing for the first time. Yeah, yeah. The, it wasn't the machine; it was the Amiga hard disk. I had a hard disk on the Amiga eventually. Hmm. And I transferred everything onto the hard disk, all the source files. They were still on, on floppies, in fact. There's hundreds of them here. But um, yeah. I, I had them all on the hard disk, and it was quite easy. You know, the operating system would boot up off the hard disk, and the compiler were on there, everything. So I could just click on it, get it running, compile it. Oh, that's good. And that, that worked for good, well, three or four weeks. That was working fine every day. And then one day it didn't work anymore hmm. and still doesn't. And every day I... I when I come up to do some stuff, and <laughs> I still plug it in and still try it. Just <laughs> might work this way, but it, no, it ne has never worked again. And it was Makes frustrating. Noises. That happened, and on the same day, two Atari STs blew yeah. up on us as well. Oh, on the same yeah. day. We were just like, this is like an omen. We need to cancel yeah. this Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff had been in, my, in the studio loft for years, you know, just mm. sitting there. There's still some. There's still some machines up there at the moment. There's a Commodore 64 up there somewhere. I haven't found that yet. 
I've seen a Spectrum uh, Plus 2, the one with the tape uh, built in it. Uh, I've seen that in a box up there. I haven't got that out yet. But, um, yeah, the Amiga, we're now working on floppy disks on the Amiga. And um, obviously, if the, if, if the Kickstarter funds and we do do it, then I'll get another Amiga, a bigger one, another hard drive, transfer it all over. And um, yeah, STs. <laughs> You can't see in here, but there's one, two, three, there's four machines in here, only one of which is working anymore. <laughs> there's another Amiga over there where half the actual keys don't work. <laughs> so the machine works, but uh, and then you can't leave them in a lot, can you, for 30 years, Nick? Well, no. <laughs> I don't know, I read an article uh, recently, it, something came up on my Facebook feed saying that there's an Amiga somewhere in the United States that's been running the temperature control of like oh, yeah. school or what was it? Oh, I can't right. remember. And it's been running for like years yeah. and years. Yeah, that was a, a whole wrong. bunch of schools actually. It was like uh, like yeah. four or five schools. And, and in a whole town, yeah. Like yeah. all the schools. Yeah, and this thing determined when the boilers turned on and, and the air conditioning and stuff. And it's been doing that since Lord knows when. <laughs> okay, now I now I know where I read that article too. It was probably on your on your Facebook wall or something. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I was so impressed. I was like, "Go on, the Amiga." Yeah, yeah. So where do you, where do you get your uh, spare parts from? eBay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, eBay. Yeah, I just got Dev Pack too because I've had to um, compile. We wanted to put the source code up so people had, can get the source code for the driver. And I found on a plot, one of, one of this I came upon had the source code with, uh, you know, beneath, beneath still sky, um, music data on it. And, um, I always use dev pack two and above and, um, dev pack one, which I found knocking about here, that wouldn't compile it because there's some opcodes in there that it didn't recognize. So I tried to find dev pack two on eBay all over the place, nowhere. And then finally somebody said they were selling it on a disc for two pound on eBay. So I thought it never worked. But I got it and it worked perfectly. So yeah, I copied it and now so I've got it backed up everywhere. So <laughs> they're packed two quid. So you are really putting a lot of effort into getting this thing right. Yeah. Well um you know, getting that getting the original stuff to work has been one of our main, main hang ups. Yeah. And and the other main hang up was working the stuff out. I can't believe some of the chords I used in that stuff. I can't believe I wrote that. You, know. you uh, mean so rubbish stuff. or what do you mean? No, just unusual chord sequences that okay. quite complex you know. as well, yeah. yeah. Star Glider <laughs> two is insane and Carrier Command is really crazy. Oh really odd, I thought. It took me it took us ages to find that second chord and I thought that's all I'd never have put that chord in there. Obviously I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean you had to develop um, the code rather than doing classical um, composing. Yeah. So I wonder, doesn't it tickle in your finger to to release something on the Atari ST or Amiga again? I mean, some something, some new piece now that you are actually looking into your sound drivers again for all the machines. Um. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but, um, you know, I mean, if we, if we do the Kickstarter, it's going to take some good six months, I would think. Then, then we'll have a look at it. But, um, I don't know. I mean, 
<laughs> You've got quite a short temper with these machines now. I've seen yeah. threats where you're going to go and get the axe out the shed and smash up the Amiga. Like, I hear this a lot and I can't uh, imagine. Just, that, that comes from in the days when we were doing it. I, I remember quite clearly that I used to threaten the machine when it wouldn't work properly or something wouldn't compile or crash. I would threaten it with, I was going to go and get the axe out the shed. And suddenly it would start to work. And it always... <laughs> <laughs> so you only you only have to swear. Yeah, well, that's quite interesting because in this video chat, you you seem like a calm person, you know? <laughs> well, I am, yeah. Very. Until I get working with those machines that crash. Yeah, it's only those computers that make you really angry. That's yeah, I know. Well, that, it is frustrating, isn't it? When I've seen him really angry with them. <laughs> They do, they do make you angry because even modern ones, you know, I mean, well, Windows is worse, isn't it? I mean, God, yeah. uh, tries to run your life. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just asking because if you look at Kickstarter right now, I mean, those retro games projects are all over the place. Yeah, and I think I think some of those games, they really miss a classical retro game music, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think that the best games really now are still coming, I think I've said this before, are coming from the indie developers themselves. Because they work on a budget and they don't, they don't have millions of pounds chucked out to do it. They have to come up with something good, you know. Um, yeah, and, and I don't I'll, know though, because everyone writes on these, I don't really know much about the development side of it, but I know that people use these engines now where it's yeah. like Unity a first-person yeah. shooter. You can sort of like almost drag and drop like bits of code in, can't you? And to me, I don't know, it all starts to look a bit samey after a while. Even, but with like, um, I don't really play many indie games, but then the ones I see, I don't know. I just, everything gets a bit samey and then suddenly something bursts through and it's really unusual. You like that Portal, don't you? Oh, Portal, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Portal's a great game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's probably written on a game engine. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I think yeah. it's probably written as like from some sort of first-person shooter engine, but then instead of firing bullets, you fire a hole, and you know, yeah. 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 it's really interesting. Like, yeah, I think it's a really clever like twist on it. You know, I think that's that's what I'm getting at. I think it is. It's not about how much money they chuck at it or any or how, how great the graphics are. Even it's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. Not, yeah. What makes me wonder? I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, why a lot of these retro games are sort of, you know, in vogue now, kind of, cause you, you look at people like, um, Cinemaware, they're, they're doing like, uh, remastering their old games. Yeah. The Rocket Ranger and stuff like that. And they're also yeah. doing a, a limited release of a, of a Sega. Yes. It came from the desert. Right. Yeah. That had never been released. So there's, there's a lot of kind of, um, kind of a, a a want for those that older sort of more imaginative yeah i can understand it as well because yeah as much as i do like a lot of the modern games it does get a bit say it just gets a bit samey and you kind of think here was a bunch of games that had a lot of imagination and where it wasn't just all sort of written for you already as well you know you right. had to actually so uh, did your dad's job make you a gamer girl or something <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just quite naturally, like, I really like, yeah, I, I do play a lot of games, always have done, and, like, I was sort of, I guess, like, my peak was all through, the, like, the Nintendo years and stuff, 
Um, but no, actually, no, I still play as much today, but I play weird stuff like PGA golf. Like, I'm obsessed <laughs> with PGA golf. It's really embarrassing. I did but loads then, of music you know, PGA golf, yeah. <laughs> you did the original PGA golf, didn't you? The, yeah, he used the to do it. He used to do I can't remember his name either. He used to do one, a new one every year, and he'd always just come to it me. It still and does. Like it was, yeah, I love it. I love PGA golf. I'm so <laughs> well, embarrassed about it, but yeah. It it must be weird when you play a game and you say like, my dad did this music, <laughs> and you're like, seriously, yeah, and for real. Lots of people don't really sort of believe me, or do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's kind of like, oh yeah, my dad did that, or like you know, if someone was like, oh yeah, I had Street Fighter Two on the Amiga, I'm like, oh my dad did the music to that. They're like, get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think because we live in like a little village in like North Yorkshire and Northern England as well it's not like we're in cool happening London or anything and it's just like you can't live in a village and do the music to Street Fighter 2 like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean but, but actually Dave you also did one um, one one game yourself I don't know I, I always forget its name what was it again um, I did uh, well, a thing called Buggy Blast. Buggy Blast, exactly, yeah. yeah. Buggy Z80 Blast. On, on the spectrum, actually, so you've never seen that in the States. Mm. Um, yeah, that was like a 3D, pseudo 3D, you know, um, shoot up. Thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was our first, that was before I started doing the music on it. And then I did the spectrum version of Thrust. Really? Once again, the Z80 version of Thrust. And then started doing music but I think I might um, get a game engine and do a new version of Buggy Blast, the 3D version. Oh yeah, sure. Why not? You know, put it on Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we make you hot. Talking about ah. all the old times and yeah. games yeah. and what, 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 what not. Yeah. You're writing another. You're writing a new game at the moment, though, aren't you? You've been. That's what you've been relaxing doing. Actually, is writing I a have, game. Yeah, I've been building this some code. Yeah. Is that a secret or secret at the minute? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It's not really. It's not a big secret, is it? I don't know. Not secret, no. <laughs> Just what you're doing. Just what I'm doing, yeah. Um, but 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 you told me you're working on some other projects too, not involved with games. Blister is talking about, I think. Oh, Blister! Oh my God! <laughs> what? The... Yeah, this is that's a real heavy, heavy duty bit of programming. It's a um, it's a diagnostic system for in for C for C sharp, C plus plus, and um, a PHP code. It, it works behind a game engine or a program. It has its own language, its own instruction set that runs. Uh, <clears throat> It has its own output screen, very complicated thing, but it's like a record because we, well, you know, I come from a recording background with the with sequences, you know, um, Pro Tools, etc., that sort of stuff. Um, it's a diagnostic system that has a whole recording system built in it. So when a when a programmer is um, testing a game, he has he, all his variables and data output, all the rest of it be recorded and replayed at any point, even when the game's crashed, you, you can run it back, mm -hmm. see what happened. It took us 
25 years service. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah, very, very heavy. It's a network-based system. Um, wow. Um, wow. Mainly in, mainly in code because it when, you know, a game runs very, very quickly and there's tons of stuff going on. And so we had to be able to get just, you know, millions of numbers over the network very, very quickly onto another machine that, that holds the display and the recording system. And we've got it working now, but we haven't, we haven't uh, done anything else with it at the moment. My favourite thing about Blister is that you couldn't write it without using itself to diagnose and test. <laughs> yeah, itself. that was that was that was the thing. It had to. We had to use it to to develop it, so it did debug itself as it was being written. That's like yeah. a sort of worm eating itself that would have never existed without itself. It's like this whole weird. It really sort of freaks me out. That <laughs> was a bit strange. <laughs> Yeah, it's really like a time anomaly, a time anomaly. Like it couldn't exist without itself, but you couldn't write it without it it's like itself. A, like so a Mobius strip of code. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good, good, uh, good way of putting it. Actually, that's, that's yeah. Anyway, that that's a kind of technical, technical bit of programming that will, you know, hopefully be out next year sometime. Cool. Wow. Hmm. Um, interesting, by the way, is also that due to all this um, Kickstarter thing, you are getting your name out. I mean, you had a six-page special featured thing yeah. on Retro yeah. Gamer. Yeah, well, I didn't expect that. They just said, you know, they'd do an article, and I said, yeah, fine. Yeah, it was Kickstarter, so great. I didn't expect it to be six pages. Six pages is so, so big. Even David Beckham doesn't get six pages in magazines. <laughs> yeah, and you you even did a radio interview. I heard. I did quite a few actually on during the last Kickstarter, especially. Was it on the last one or this one? I can't remember. The actually. last one. The last one. Was it the last one? Yeah. They've all sort of merged into one, haven't they? Yeah. Been doing a Kickstarter since about January nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it must be crazy that that now everybody wants to talk to you in a way. I know. I, I had no idea that the, you know, the music from those days was that popular, and the, and the, the games. I mean, I, I just had no idea till Holly and mother daughter Lucy told me that you know. People were so interested in retro games and, and retro music and stuff. I was like, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. No, in fact, Adam, uh, our brother, my brother, he 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 told us years ago. He was just like, that's yeah, famous. Do you know this? There's like websites of people looking for him and like, <laughs> yeah. But that was you know, that was about ten years ago or something. We were like, what? And yeah. Yeah, that's actually true. It took me twelve years to find Dave. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably the, the person my brother was saying like there's a guy looking for dad on the internet <laughs> <laughs> well there are so many people having the same name it's incredible yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Well, there is a guy over here in, in Britain with the same name who does a lot of music for BBC TV mm. and um, my, my name and his name got mixed up for years yeah, um, yeah. And I actually talked to him on the phone. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. It's true, you know. Oh, my God. Uh, 
did he know immediately that you had the wrong person or was he like maybe i did do some game music no 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 at this at this point he didn't he didn't know yet that there was another person with his name doing doing music for games that was like I don't know, like ten years ago or something, or I don't know, five years ago. It was a long time ago, and he didn't know. And um, and the thing is, there there is an old photo of Dave, you know, and this person he he looked similar. And I was like, okay, maybe, okay. May, maybe maybe he is that person, you know. <laughs> well, actually, I've seen um. There's on one of the sites. It's got. My lists of my music and stuff I did, and a photo of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the thing. The, 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 the photo oh, no. was of him, not of you. <laughs> okay, now I understand why. Now <laughs> and it does say if there are in, inaccurate, if you know of any inaccuracies, let us know. You know, but I, I haven't told. You. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> now I understand. Now I understand the confusion because I saw that photo. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this looks like that person. I must have the right person. <laughs> it was. <Yeah. laughs> oh, Jesus. This is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you got paid his royalty for a little bit. Yeah, they started sending me his royalties, whether he got mine or not, I don't know. But he, <laughs> I, I, he started getting my royalties. I started getting his PRS royalties. And I kept ringing up the PRS and saying, this isn't me. And they said, oh, okay, fine. And then they'd send me some more. <laughs> In the end, I gave up. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but, but I guess, but I guess um, making music for games was pretty pretty good profit back then, right? Well, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, there was a lot of work. And they paid well. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. <laughs> Some of them went bust on you. That time or two, um, you know, while they owed you money, and then then you'd find out that they uh, they they owed you seven thousand pounds, and they then they would go bust, and then a week later, the same directors would open another another limited company. Yeah. But, Ooh, that's yeah, sad. <laughs> saw that a few times. <laughs> Yeah. But but it must be some kind of well good feeling to know that your your piece of work of music is part of big hit names bit big hit games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, was good <clears throat> to to see that those games did so well. I mean, I didn't really know. I, I never followed the games, so I didn't really know how well they did or how big sellers they were. Um, mm. I didn't really play games, and I still don't a lot. Mm. Um, but but saying that you keep an an eye on indie game development shows that you still didn't lose interest in video games in general. Um, I, no, I, what I mean is that now I've been now we I've been made aware of it, and I'm looking looking at um, indie game development and and you know AAA labels games you know um, I prefer what I see coming from the indie companies I just think it's got more about it mm. and there's there seems to be a lot of them as well because there was a whole well I assume there was because I've been out of it for a long time but I assume that the small developers disappeared I assume I don't know and whether they've just started to you know re-emerge I don't know 
is that a fact or have they always been there and I think a lot of them have been kind of overshadowed by the huge game developers, you know, EA and and whoever right. else, you know, that that would they put out a game and, and a lot of times the big developers they sort of just phone it in. It's not even really you know, it's pretty much the same game as it was last year. And it's yeah. just, you know, slightly tweaked or something, but mm-hmm. but that gets all the hype and all the advertising whereas the indie games they exist but they don't have the Maybe they don't have the budget to advertise it or to really be as omnipresent as you know as the the, the big developers. Yeah. Do you think Kickstarter and such like crowdfunding sites are making a difference in that respect? Absolutely. Yeah. A yeah. lot of the people that we've talked to have been using Kickstarter to yeah. to get stuff going, and and it really it connects the audience, I think, with the developers a lot better than you might have otherwise because now you're as a as a as a backer or as someone that would want to play the game or or get the the cd or, or whatever now it's like i can contribute to this and you know it builds like a connection between the developer and the audience that didn't really exist otherwise That's right. well f- the creator gets they get like a sort of um like sample group or do you know what I mean? Like you get much more feedback of like what's working and what isn't. And cause these are actually people that are going to buy your game or have already bought your game basically anyway. And then they get to sort of say like, I really like this about it. I don't really like what you're doing here. And so you get lots of feedback, I guess. And I don't know. I think that the kick, the crowdfunding stuff's really cool on like nearly every creative sort of level, like music or games and stuff. It just, wipes away those horrible big companies and puts people back in touch with people and creators like right. yeah I think really cool. yeah um well well for me for me backing it and uh, being a part of of yours and dave's project is like uh, you know making a part of my childhood reliving in a new project because well, for me it was like 25 years ago i would have loved to talk to dave you know <laughs> and uh, but but i didn't have the possibility you know and nowadays you have the internet and you can easily easily support somebody who was a hero of your childhood you know amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes it's interesting for dave for dave it's crazy for Holly, it's understandable because she 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 was living in the same area that I did, being just one year um, older than than her. So yeah, you know, it's, I think as a creator for Dave, he 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 isn't aware of what gamers think, and that so many people want his stuff to be re-released and help yeah. him getting this project. Yeah. I think especially well, with music too, because. You know, there's there's some of this stuff that's that's for you know game development or, or re-releasing games, and that's something that, you know, I I was never a huge gamer when I was younger. I, I played a lot of games, and now it's when I get into the nostalgia part of it. A lot of it is, you know, there's these games that I played when I was a kid that, you know, like like for instance, Skate or Die was a was a big one here in the U.S. and I played that as a kid. I would rather stab myself in the eye than play that game again because it's just it's not a great game to play but the music was cool you know and it's going and listening to that music and finding it somewhere and listening to it again it's like that's all the nostalgia i need i don't need to to experience falling off my skateboard 17 times 
mm. you know, while yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to work it, you know, but all I need is the music and it's like there, I'm there again, you know, and this is kind of a perfect thing because even the games that maybe we didn't, you know, we didn't have or, or that we only played at a friend's house or something, you know, the music is still, it still kind of sticks with you. You hear it and it's like, oh yeah, because some of these games, I, you know, there's some games that I don't even, you know, I don't know the names of them or whatever, but I listen to the music and it's like, oh, I know that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, music does stay with you. Hmm. Yeah. And can, can stay with you a whole lifetime, can't it? I mean, your, your favorite music. albums and stuff, you keep them all your life, don't you? Right, yeah. 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 And music, it like bypasses all of your sort of like cognitive sort of thinking and like, and it just goes straight to your like emotional bank and it, and it makes you feel something immediately without having to think about it or be involved you can't help it like you can't go like oh i'm not going to feel emotional about this <laughs> like you're just gonna yeah, you know exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. well and this this skate of dice thing was actually made by rob hubbard yes just to mention it yeah yeah and it's funniest thing because when i interviewed dave he was <laughs> like i didn't know that rob hubbard did um, um international karate plus <laughs> i didn't know <laughs> i thought archie mclean had written it he was the programmer, wasn't he? Mm. And um, I, I went um, when I when he he rang me to get me to do the music for the Amiga for it, and um, he said, "Why don't you come down?" And so I went down to where I can't remember where it was, somewhere in Britain, and, uh, and he, he had some really flash. I remember he had some really really expensive flash sports car, and said, oh, "I said well, that's really nice." I said, "Do you want to go for riding?" I said, "Yeah, okay." So he said, "Right." I'll tell you what, he's a mad, mad driver. He's probably a very good driver. <laughs> After, you know, cornering at about 140 mile an hour, I said to him, you have to, have to slow down. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, yeah, he he never said to me, maybe he did, maybe I don't remember, but I was not aware at all that Rob Hubbard had written the music to him. I played last night. I, I knew... It wasn't. A, I knew. Obviously, I was given a copy of it to to learn to use. You know, to do the Amiga version. But I, I had the impression that he he had done it. Hmm. Um, I don't know where I got that idea. I didn't know Rob Hubbard, but I do now. So you so you did a lot of conversions of of music from one from one machine to another, from the arcade to the home computers or whatever. How did yeah. you? How did you do that? Because it's it's I've I've got very basic. I'm not a very good musician. I was a I was a mediocre drummer for a while, and that was about it. But just think that the the idea of like listening to this piece of music, like did they give you a like a sheet music for, it, or did you just kind of figure out what it was doing and redo that? Or yeah, they would either um, if it was say done on the C64 and they wanted it on the you know Amiga and ST. They'd send a seat, uh, C64 disc up with you on and I'd listen to it on there and just, you know, convert it on to learn it, basically learn it. Mm. Like you do, you learn, as a musician, you learn music. You, know? right. you learn to hear the chords and such like. You just work it out on the piano, find out what it is, and then put it on. Mm. Or, or go to the arcade, you start to go to the arcade and listen to the arcade machine. Oof. Learn it that way. We are not going to the cage for fun. We are going to the cage for work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was used to playing the game, so. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, that must have been a fun time. 
fucked you are, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all blurred. Obviously, I remember doing it, but it was such, there was about 10 years of it, and it was just non-stop, non-stop, you know, seven days a week, all the time. And, uh, through the night, you know, machines crashing, stuff <laughs> deadlines to me, mm. new new jobs coming in, you'd have like five jobs piled up and thinking, how the hell am I going to get these out on, on time? Always managed to do something. Yeah, and that's interesting because when when you look at other composers, they really had a problem to keep the quality up, yeah. but you always released 100% perfect things. You you always kept up the quality, and that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, like there's no, there is no single song where you can, where you can go, oh, well, he he must have been rushing through this, you know, because because they all were were like very very good transcriptions or or conversions of these this music. There was no, there weren't any bad ones, and well, most musicians was, um, have a chest. On the on the retro gamer magazine, hmm. they they had um they had people writing questions that they wanted to ask me. <laughs> You'll like this one. <laughs> Some bloke had written in and said um, that when you worked under the name Dave Lowe, you did really good music. As soon as you changed it to Uncle Art, you did complete crap on the Commodore 64. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. The, said, the worst one was Power Drift. Oh, that's my favorite. I know. That's my favorite. That's my ringtone on my on my iPhone and my home phone. Well, he, he reckoned that that was terrible. That was, said, that was the best. <laughs> so that all I could my answer to that was well I said that you know I'd phoned to somebody who said that was his favourite piece so really it's a bit subjective <laughs> isn't it you know, so. and it's still amazing me how you can squeeze down like 15 voices into three or something that's totally boggled my mind well it's not really there's only three running there but it's uh, you know you play chords on this Commodore 64 by Playing, playing the notes of the chords very, very quickly, so they almost gel as one sound. You know. Yeah. Mm. What was totally. your What was your favorite machine to compose on or to to, to do on? Um, it, it's weird because the Amiga was the most capable, mm -hmm. but in a way it was cheating because all it did was play samples. You know. Right. And so you put a sample in, and then you you know on my driver I, I could write note data. So it would play, play whatever I wanted to do, or you could just play straight percussion sound or chords. You could put whole chord samples in. And obviously that had, I suppose, the most sophisticated sound. Um, C64, though, was a bit special because it had its own little synthesizer going in there, which was really, really good. And it's still really popular today. Hmm. I mean, people love the C64 music, don't they? But, yeah. you know. And then the ST... As a musician, the ST was a real workhorse because it had MIDI in and out built in it. So for me, everything after a while, after um, after a, a sort of year or two, I, I wrote code that um, converted MIDI input into the text files that my drivers used, note into text file note data, so that then I could actually play the part on a keyboard. Mm not have to step right in, you know, to actually play a, play a phrase, that's it, and it would convert it so I could do the whole thing like that. Oh. So the ST was really, 
as a through musician, it was excellent in that respect. Cool. <laughs> so you upgraded in the process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of experience talking with people that have done C64 stuff and even some Amiga stuff, but there's not too many Atari stories that we've we've gotten you know and and i know that the the atari was a was a capable machine you know it wasn't a, a bad machine i had a it's an older one an 800 xl which is the the older 8-bit and and it, it struck me i didn't use it very much but it struck me when i did turn it on how close to the c64 it seemed you know and, right. and there's a lot of you know you didn't hear too much about that at the time because it wasn't i guess it wasn't as popular a machine but but I never saw anyone drawing the comparisons between between them, and I know right. that the ST had a lot of. I guess it had a similar kind of architecture to the Amiga, almost. Yeah, and it had I a lot. I think graphics-wise, and, and you know, it was a sixty-eight thousand processor mm -hmm. module. You know, so yeah, it was the same, the same thing. I mean, obviously, it didn't have the sampling chip. Mm -hmm. and it had an AY chip in it, three-channel AY chip. Um, that was its big biggest letdown. They should have put a really good sample chip in it, hmm. and it would have changed the whole dynamic of the you know the thing. But I think the ST might have even been more um, more impressive than the Amiga in that respect. Then because it would have had MIDI built yeah. in us as samples, that would yeah. have been excellent. <laughs> it's like the old VHS and uh, what was it? What was the two? The Betamax. Yeah, that was not that was <laughs> war, you know, that went up between those two. Yeah. So, what was your favorite game music to work on? Yeah. So uh, many of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Hard even question. now, when we look through them now, to what we're going to do on the Kickstarter, I mean, I listen to it and I go, "Oh, I like that piece. That's really." <laughs> did I write that? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, no, I like that one. <laughs> you know, and then. And then I then we find another one. I go, oh no, I prefer this one. Yeah, I don't know really. Obviously, you really like the um, the incredible shrinking sphere music that you did. Yeah, that's really cool. The game wasn't. Uh, I don't know how well the game did or not, but it was one of my favourite pieces of music I've written for stuff. <laughs> so um, I, did, I do really like that piece and the elite pieces, obviously, um, and Carrier Command. I like that and Star Glider pieces. No, I think Star Glider 2 is quite special. Yeah, uh, yeah. I enjoyed them because they they let me record them for one of cassette. Yeah, that's actually what you are known for, according to Wikipedia, that you that you did this cassettes and shipped it with the games. That yeah. was quite special back then. Not really something common you would you would have for no, a video mm. game. I think they only did it on a few games. I don't think it was a commonplace. Um, Thing that the I think it's testament to how good the music was. It's just people want to listen to the full version of it because it couldn't keep playing the music whilst you were playing the game at the same time. So right. it was like you can just listen to it on cassette whilst you're playing the game. Yeah. It's so funny to think of now that you'd get a game and like get a CD that you can put the soundtrack on for. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so what's your dad' favorite, Holly? Um. I th well, similar, really. I really I think the Frontier main theme is really, really, really special. Um, it's kind of, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, I never even played Elite, um, like Frontier. I never played it, but 
even just like when I watch like the intro with the you know the music on something like the Amiga or something, it just sounds amazing. It's like and you can it, it does it honestly gives me goosebumps, which is why we want to do it with an orchestra because if it gives you goosebumps on the Amiga samples, then mm. I think it's really going to give goosebumps with the full orchestra playing it. But yeah, I think that's just genuinely a really classy piece of of music and um, yeah, I don't know. I really like. Um, Oh God, I don't know. I just like loads of. <laughs> okay, <laughs> There's yeah. Like Seventy to choose from as well. I apologize for the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think actually, Star. I think maybe Star Glider Two for me as well. I really like like it, and I was really pleased because I managed to like work it all out on the piano and. I was like, I felt like one of the people that puts their own homages up on YouTube. Like, I've got my own sort of version of it on YouTube with me. Like, I was down at um, my father-in-law's place in London, and oh, it was just like a rainy day, and I was sort of in the house of my own, and I just spent it, like, working out Starglider 2, and I was so pleased with myself, because it's really complicated. And, um, yeah, and then I just, like, quickly stuck my phone camera on, recorded me doing it quite badly, really. And, um, yeah, and then yeah. quickly stuck it on YouTube along with all the sort of other... Because lots of people sort of put their own sort of homages up there and, you know, like their own cover versions. And I'm, I like, one I of those it. people as well. Yeah, I saw it and I liked it. I saw it. <laughs> so, yeah, so now... it was... Yeah, it was no. It wasn't a really a performance. It was just like a. I've worked it out, and I want a record that I have worked it out. Like, <laughs> and yeah, I just want to put it up. I think it's a really cool piece of music. It's so it's and when you play it, it's got like these F sharps underneath, like B flat minor chords, and it just sounds really like. Gang, 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 gang. Yeah, I think yeah. I really, <laughs> I really get into that one. And then, like you try and play it faster and faster, and yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, so now you're you're also a musician. This is a sort of a family yeah. thing. You you play piano, you sing, and you play guitar. Yeah, I play guitar as well. Yeah, and okay. flute. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But mainly, mainly piano and singing is my and and guitar really, just huh. sort of rhythm guitar. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been professional since. Well, I was signed to Mercury when I was seventeen as oh. a singer songwriter on a great big like one of the sort of great last sort of record company signings when record companies used to be you know like old school record companies where they mm -hmm. give you a big advance they sign you for a six album worldwide deal and it's huge and they let me develop as an artist for like two years before we even started recording and it was really amazing and dad was producing the album with me because yeah we made the demos in the uncle art studio and and the demos were so good, they were barely even demos, they were pretty much sort of masters really, and then Ooh. they were like, yeah, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll sign it, and yeah, it was really cool. We recorded on Pete Townsend from The Who, um, his like, um, barge studio in London on the Thames, and mm. it was really, really cool, and then we were mixing in Townhouse and stuff, and... It was amazing, like in being 19 when I was recording that album down in London every day and yeah, it was it was awesome. And we had um, Ringo Starr's son was playing the drums for us. Oh. And, yeah. Zach, yeah. Zach, yeah. 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 It was so, cool. So the whole family is musician family, right? Well, it's just us two and um, my uncle, dad's brother, Jeff. Yeah. Ah, and, and your sister is not into music. 
she's not really a musician, but she's an act. She's an actress, and she's a sort of creative film sort of actor, film directory sort of person. And um, I see quite a lot of um, audio book work at the minute. Yeah, she's like a voice actor a lot as well. Yeah, she does audio books and and that sort of stuff. And yeah, all sorts of stuff. She's very creative family. Yeah. Yeah. If we get the Kickstarter, she's gonna then. She's got her own project. If we get the funding for this Kickstarter and we make the album, she's actually going to film. She's making her own sort of like film about it, as in like her sort of like journey of finding. Because she never really like was into the game and stuff, and she's only really recently sort of discovered all about it. And she, you know, doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't know the difference between an Amiga and an RC or anything. Ooh, and yeah. so she's sort of like finding this whole world like really interesting, and she's just like, Jesus Christ, my dad's famous, you know, like <laughs> people have been looking for him for 12 years, and you know. <laughs> so she's going to make this really cool, like kind of quite a personal sort of film about like the Ooh. about like the kickstart about our sort of project you know temporal yeah. shift and how the music was and then how it's going to sound and how you know you're eventually going to get it to sound how you wanted it to and the sort of recording element and yeah she's she's really on it um i think it's going to be yeah. really cool obviously it depends if we get our funding but um ah uh, well you're yeah, so close now it can't fail yeah let's talk about the <laughs> kickstarter because we are we have about 14 days about two weeks left in the kickstarter Two weeks yeah. today, yeah. Two weeks mm-hmm. today, last year. Right, and we are. Uh, you're, you're actually uh, pretty far on your way. Uh, you're more than halfway. You're yeah. well more than halfway there. It's it's hopeful. I think we're just nervous because we ran we ran the same Kickstarter, slightly different, but pretty much the same Kickstarter, like mm-hmm. um, two months ago, or it finished like a month ago, or something like that. And we we fell five percent short. We got ninety five percent, and mm. so it's just really uh, like my nerves were just completely shattered <laughs> by the end. Of it. it was a real roller coaster, wasn't it? And because it was like, oh, we're not going to make it. You know, we'll make a replan. We'll have to think. And then as we were watching the last twelve hours, it just went crazy, and the graph went like you know, like almost vertical and. Yeah, and then we're like, oh my god, we're going to make it. This is going to actually happen. And then we fell like £1,500 short of the £33,000. And now you go through this again. Yeah, Yeah. I'm nervous of it now. I'm very (laughs) nervous. Because I was so positive all the time in the last one. Just like, no, this will happen. This has got to happen. And and then after falling 5% short, I'm just like, oh god, I don't know. I can't tell anymore. Kickstarter's so weird and unpredictable. But now we have a lot more promotion. Yeah, there's a lot more people and we've got lots, although we haven't got as many backers yet as we had by the end of the last one, we've still got a lot of brand new backers in that weren't on the last one and so I'm hoping if some of the backers from the old ones still come back eventually then mm. and we've got new ones coming in all the time and I would have hoped that a six page spread in Retro Gamer magazine might have helped or it maybe it helps at the end see people seem to come in at the end a lot which is yeah yes there's actually an option saying remind me 48 hours before the project ends yeah because we were like where are these people coming from on the last one it was 48 hours before it was just like how is everyone suddenly hearing because we didn't know anything about kickstarter when we when we started this and the, the kickstarter bit is the most difficult part for us because we're not marketers or you know we're just musicians and it's really 
daunting to sort of step out and say like, hey, we're going to do this. And then everyone's like, well, exactly how are you going to do this and this? And we didn't realize how specific you've got to be and how we made that mistake of assuming everyone knew as much as we did about the project and not being so clear about it, you know. And so mm. I think hopefully this time we've been a lot more transparent and clear and, you know. Ah, uh, you know, sometimes people are, you know, they are really, really too too serious you know i mean yeah. i i saw the comments like oh you 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 used the wrong name for elite two or something you <laughs> oh, know yeah. I was like oh my god who cares oh. who cares seriously That's yeah, a, yeah there's this one guy he was on the last one he's just there to only find any mistakes that i've ever made you know it's just like holly you said this and he's taking a screenshot and he's got the cursor pointing at the word elite you know instead of it saying elite two <laughs> Sad for it him. Really. It should be like my dad wrote the music. He can call it whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, we're we gonna start calling it just like Mabel or something. Just really confuse him. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it can be really, really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, because you're taking people's money, so you've got to be like, you know, you've got to sort of tell them what you're doing, and you know. Because yeah, mm -hmm. they've got to sort of trust in you and they've got to believe that what you're doing is going to be what they're going to want and stuff. I mean, there is an element of like they've got to make a sort of leap of faith that this is going to be something that they'll like. And especially when it's like an artistic thing, you can't say exactly what it's going to be. We don't really you know, know all the time when we set out how we're going to record something, yeah. how it's going to end mm -hmm. up. We picture it like something and it ends up differently. And that's part of the creative process so right. you know and even with tracks sometimes you go like okay let's do this track and then you realize that actually it's too difficult and I mean that's what happened with the elite sorry the frontier elite 2 <laughs> let me say that exactly right <laughs> with the um, yeah frontier pieces is that we hadn't really thought about doing it with an orchestra we just said oh that would be fun wouldn't it but then when we went to sort of make the frontier pieces for the teaser for the first Kickstarter we just couldn't do it because it's so difficult. It needs an orchestra and you can't... We were trying to do it with samples and we're just like, it just doesn't sound good enough with these samples. And, you know, we were like, there's literally no way you can really do it other than how it was actually intended. So you sort of find these things out as you go along and, you know... Yeah. yeah. That's part but, of it. It's a creative thing, though, so... But of course, you don't want to use the original piece of music from the computer and just add some drums on it and say, done! <laughs> you first! Yeah. It would be quick. Put a violin on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe some people would like that, but yeah. No, yeah. but the thing is, because we want something that really. We kind of want to use it as a showcase as well ourselves, because I kind of like have become part of Uncle Art now and. I really want to, you know, we work really well together and I know that you weren't really interested in doing stuff before on your own dad since those days, but now like there's two of us working on stuff, it's like, it'd be really cool to do game music again today, but we want to show that we can do more than stuff that sounds like it was done in the 80s and 90s, you know, so it would be really nice to have this album as well as a sort of showcase of like, well, hey, you know, if these were the games they were today, this was what they'd sound like the music for and you know yeah so yeah it's kind of like a very important project as well to us as well as a sort of fun like 
blast from the past sort of thing. It's actually quite a sort of, well, this could actually be really good, especially, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Well, that's actually something I never really understood. There are so many game projects, you know, using old graphics on Kickstarter, like the Ron Gilbert project. But when it comes to music, oh, I think we use modern PC music kind of stuff, you know. I was like, well, not only mm. that, but a lot of the newer music that they use in games is forgettable. Like, yeah. in none of the games that I have played that are, are new, nothing, none of the music stands out. Either it's it's music that have been that has been licensed from a band or something and they stick that in there or it's just kind of generic background incidental music there's nothing that yeah. makes me think like this game there, there's nothing that that if i come back to one of these games in 20 years i'm not going to remember what the music is yeah <laughs> which is which is really kind of a shame because that's one of like you said before that's one of those things that kind of wires directly into your emotions more so than other, other stuff Exactly. That, yeah. that, that comes from the fact that now anybody can do music for a game. See, mm. when I did it, you couldn't. You had to be able to program as right. well, and so you had to kind of have different skills. But now anybody can make music on a you know on a PC <laughs> on and any old sequencer and just mm. chuck some samples in, because anybody can do it. They are. I know. Yeah. So it's kind of brought the level right down, really. And I agree with you. It's so generic. Hmm. I, I I agree completely. When I listen to stuff, it's just washes in one ear and out the other. I don't. I cannot remember it often. Yeah, we call it like elevator music with an orchestra, or you know, what I mean, yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah. if it's good quality. You know, the quality's there. They chuck a lot of money at it. You know, yeah. It's like, oh, is it from SimCity 3000, 2000, 4000? Mm. We don't know because it sounds exactly equal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, right. you know, even a lot of the games, you know, the the, the, you know, the general, you know, beat-em-up games. I remember, um, oh, good Lord, like probably back in, in 2000, um, Namco had put out uh, Soul Calibur, I think it was called. Some It was just a random fighting game. But every character had good music, and it was the kind of stuff that you'd remember. And then they'd do a new one every year, and at this point it's like, you look at it and, and nothing sticks with you. You know, I can I can remember the songs from 20 years ago that this these games had, but now it's just like, just generic orchestral stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? We it's went to... Yeah. yeah, we went to Game Music Connect, didn't we, last year? Yeah. September in London and do you know what I mean and it's like the top game music composers you know talking and showcasing a bit of their music and it was so disappointing and I don't know there was not any sort of rock and roll or sort of do you know what I mean there was nothing it was just everyone looked like they sort of worked in an accountant office and yeah yeah well, that's also i think a big issue with the the big game developers again is that is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of like you don't have a lot of dave lowes or rob hubbards or your own tells or anything anymore you have you have some big company puts out a game and then in the credits there's the committee of people that made the music yeah it's yeah it is it's yeah yeah, can't make music by committee. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That was—I mean—that was the main reason I got out of doing it. Really, is because they started to want so much control over everything mm-hmm. as the companies got bigger and that they were making more and more money. That they wanted you to come work in house, mm. so they could stand over you and say, "You know, have you finished it yet? No, we want it now." You know. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
interesting. Thinking about it, yeah. the last time I heard about a composer getting a lot of credits for his uh, work was actually Frank Klepecki for doing Command and Conquer for Westwood Studios. Mm -hmm. That um, real-time strategy a pioneer game. But that was 1995. Yeah. That was the yeah, last some, time. Some, some I time think ago. Command and Conquer. Yeah, that must have been a while ago. Yeah. yeah. That was like exactly 20 years ago. That's the last time I heard credit of some composer being um, totally well mentioned everywhere for yeah. his good music. Yeah. 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 It's, crazy. it's crazy, really, because, you know, it's, it's bigger, so they, tell, so they tell us, than the film industry now. Uh -huh. And yet the film industry, they kind of know that, you know, the, the good films really have the music, don't they? Yeah. That, that set can set the film apart, you know, really goes with the emotion of the film. And mm -hmm. they just, as you say, with the games, every year they just seem to chuck it out. Right. It's very generic. Yeah, I'd love like Thomas Newman to just do like a game soundtrack, just to see the difference <laughs> of like when you have someone really who knows how to do that, you know. Right, right, and that's yeah, with the film industry, like you bring up. There's a lot of. Um... There, there is still a lot of individual recognition with the composers. If you go to a movie, you know that that's a John Williams score, or you know that yeah. that's you know, well, you know whoever it is. It's you can still yeah. basically you're right, isn't you? Because what you're saying is it's done by a, a single composer, right. isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's not a meeting of right. Yeah, or well, two people like us. <laughs> that's not to say two people can't <laughs> together. Oh, that's what's happened to the. Uh, Sorry, it's, but that's what's happened to the record industry as well. I mean, these days, you know, in major labels now, the artist goes in, and the, you know, the committee of A and R guys go and they, they they might make a good record, and then they go and remix it and edit it and wreck it. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and they. And make it sound like everything else. Yeah. Yeah, and you see like the songwriting credits on like a Rihanna song or something, and it's got like four lines that are like, "Hey baby, baby, don't do that" or something, and it's like ten names on the writing yeah. credits. And yeah, it's and it's like... something that that is totally like inappropriate too. I remember um, I saw a Britney Spears album years and years ago, and it was like I don't know what song it was, but it was something very simplistic and girly, and then it's like <laughs> you know credits writing by Larry Greenberg. You know, it's, it's just like, what? <laughs> was that me, baby, one more time? Yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's like I see these... Yeah, and you see the credits, and it's like, you know, two 70-year-old guys sitting in Florida writing a song, and it's like, no, they, they this isn't right, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. But it's, yeah, that's... Hang on, my room has been invaded. <laughs> I'm out of the daughter and the dog. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Liz. So that's the one doing the documentary then. That's yeah. The mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I just interrupted the thing. Uh, that's okay. No, it's perfect. Picture. So we got all of them in one interview. Yeah, it's yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I've got to go. See ya. Okay, see ya. Bye. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, basically, I got all my questions covered so far. We've got some, some good stuff. And we will we'll plug these things. We'll, we'll put the uh, the links to the 
to the Kickstarter and your your pages and stuff. Is there anything else that you want to kind of plug in it? That'd be brilliant. Just yeah, this we're not doing another Kickstarter. If this one doesn't fund, there's no other Kickstarter. So it's like <laughs> yeah. it's now or never. And um, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we don't get it this time, then. The Kickstarter, yeah. Um, yeah, so like. Please, if like people are interested in this project, come check it out and just back it. And please don't leave it till the end because it really shatters our nerves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want this. Buggy Blast too. And look out for Buggy Blast too. Mm. Buggy Blast too. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I want this happening. I want this happening so much. My childhood dreams depending <laughs> on it. So. <laughs> Great. Great. Okay. Well, it's been really good to talk to you again, Joe. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Indeed. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Great. guys. Great. Yes, thank Keep you. in thank touch. You. Yeah. We'll go, yeah. Bye bye. Yeah, bye bye. I would like to thank Dave and Holly Lowe for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Again, check out their Kickstarter for a campaign for Uncle Art, a temporal shift, and become a backer if you haven't done that already. You can also check out the Uncle Art Music site at UncleArtMusic.com or look them up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash UncleArtMusic. You can check out Uncle Art Music on Twitter at, at UncleArt underscore KS or Dave Lowe uh, at TheUncleArt and even Holly Lowe on Twitter at HollyJazz. You can find more on SceneWorld stuff, including video interviews, more podcasts, all that junk, at SceneWorld.org. And you can contact us at podcast at SceneWorld.org if you'd like to make comments or suggestions or whatever. Me? You know where to find me. My website is JustWestFell.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Arthur J. Heller. Jorg is over that away. His website is NAFCOM.eu, and you can find him on Twitter at NAFCOM. For Jorg, I'm AJ, and we'll see you next time.